Right on. This is Jeffrey with Mountain Man Nutrition. And I have a different podcast for you today because I was privileged enough to get to go to Mark Sisson's live book signing. So it was right here in Denver at the National Grocers, and uh, it was a huge audience, and I even got to ask him a question, so that was super cool. And uh, he answered, him and Lindsay, who runs his Facebook page, were kind of talking together, and uh, they answered my question about uh, me not losing weight uh, for the last uh, three, four, five months or whatever I've been stagnant, and they gave me some great advice, which I'm implementing now. So if you want to hear that advice and uh, a talk at a book signing by Mark Sisson, uh, keep listening because here we go. Copies. It's actually a half a million. So now it says thousands. Well, at least, I, at least they didn't put hundreds. Had sold hundreds of copies, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Keto Reset Diet, which came out in October, is... Uh, uh, New York Times bestseller, and we now, in Primal Kitchen, we now have 40 products. So, that's kind of how we got to where we are. Now let's talk about the, the cool stuff, right? Let's talk, let's start to get into metabolic flexibility and talk about what we're, you know, what we're seeking here. The idea behind the Primal philosophy from day one was that, um, you know, we are, our genes, our DNA, our genes expect us to be strong and lean and fit and happy and healthy and productive and loving and all the things that we want to be. Our genes expect that of us. We, these genes were forged in millions of years of evolution, two and a half million years of human evolution, uh, and they expect certain inputs. And when we don't give our genes those inputs, the genes just, they, they go a different direction. So we can control how our body burns fat. We can control whether or not our body stores fat. We control, the genes determine how we build muscle or not. Um, how our immune system supports our, ourselves or not. Um, genes can have a tremendous effect on our mood, uh, whether or not we're depressed. Genes can be um, very instrumental in, in ultimately getting to the point where we uh, become energetic because we built more mitochondria in the muscles. So it's the input that we give our genes that really determines how we renew, rebuild, regenerate, recreate ourselves on a day-to-day, -day, on a minute-to-minute -minute basis. So my goal for the last 30 years has been to discover these hidden genetic switches that we all have and ways in which we can manifest that strong, lean, fit body that we want or that healthy, happy, productive person that we want to be through food, through the choices of exercise that we, that we choose to do, uh, through um, how much sleep we get, how much sun exposure we get, how much play we engage in, how often we use our brains. All of these things are what we call epigenetic factors that influence how our genes express themselves and recreate us. So that's the primal philosophy. And modern health crises arise from poor inputs. The type 2 diabetes epidemic in this country, which continues to, to run rampant, 35, 40 million people either diagnosed or undiagnosed but still have type 2 diabetes and a lot of people assume well that's just I have you know I have bad genes my I can't do anything about it I got bad genes and my parents their fault uh, type 2 diabetes is a pretty I, I mean I don't want to offend anybody but it's pretty it's it's a pretty st stupid disease to have because you don't because it's your you don't have to have it you don't 
it's completely fixable, it's completely curable with the right kind of inputs at the right kind of time. Uh, and people who get type 2 diabetes, it's not defective genes, it's actually very efficient genes just adapting to the signals that you're giving your genes. I don't want to exercise that much. Um, I'm, I'm going to continue to eat unhealthy uh, oils that have a lot of omega-6 uh, and, and um, damaged fats in them that are going to be incorporated into my cells and going to affect how I, my body responds to insulin. Um, I'm going to keep eating sugar because uh, my doctor said that as long as I take my medicine, I can have my dessert. Uh, and this is, it's just ridiculous how the medical community has, has looked at type 2 diabetes, which is an epidemic, and decided it, it seems like it's a normal part of just being an American and getting older and oh, I'm going to have, at some point I'll have type 2 diabetes. It's ridiculous. It's all, it all comes down to the inputs you give your genes. So food is the foundation of wellness. Uh, step one, this is the basis. Um, you know, uh, primal blueprint rule number one, eat lots of plants and animals and insects. That was, because we're kind of, we're, we're following the primal sort of model from hunter-gatherers 50,000 or 100,000 or a million years ago. They ate a lot of insects. People, by the way, around the world eat a lot of insects now too, but I'm not suggesting you do that, but eat plants and animals, right? Pretty simple. That means, that also means avoid toxic things. So it means avoid frankenfoods. Uh, trans fats, uh, adulterated foods, uh, additives, preservatives, artificial colors, dyes. Those are things that you, you pretty much know, right? I mean, you're, you know enough to avoid those sorts of things. But there's an area sort of on the cusp in between these where we can talk about maybe some assumptions that you had over the past that, that you know, uh, eating, uh, you know, high amounts of carbs was still something that you you could do as long as it was organic or as long as it was, you know, enriched or something like that. So we'll, we'll have a little bit of discussion about that. The primal blueprint food pyramid has always had vegetables at its base. Uh, <clears throat> that's just, I'm a big fan of vegetables for their micronutrition. I'm a big fan of vegetables for their fiber. I'm a big fan of vegetables for the way they taste. Like anybody heard of the carnivore diet going around now? You know, it's like, Fine, if you want to try that for a couple of weeks, but as a lifestyle, I'm not going to give up my vegetables. I, you know, I like as much variety as possible. Um, protein from meat, fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds. Um, healthy fats. Healthy fats is a new, a relatively new term in the lexicon of uh, of health, you know, healthy living. But it's it's quite clear now that healthy fats are uh, not just not bad for you; they're actually good for you, and we should seek them out particularly monounsaturated fats, particularly certain omega-3 fats. And then moderation foods, chocolate, you know, a uh, little piece of dark chocolate once in a while. Uh, I got nothing against starchy tubers, you know, you know, potatoes, sweet potatoes, things like that. So now we get to how do we individualize this concept of, of um, eating primally. And the first thing we want to talk about really is, is this experiment of one. Because everybody, while everybody builds muscle the same way and everybody you know, burns fat the same way and everybody <clears throat> um, makes neurotransmitters the same way, it's the degree to which we do these things that, that varies from individual to individual based on family genes, for instance. So some of us are really good at building muscle. Some of us are not that good at it. Some of us are really good at burning fat. Some of us are really good at storing fat. So that's where we start to talk about <clears throat> individual experimentation. 
and, uh, and playing around with what we call your macros. So your macros are your protein, your fat, and your carbohydrate and as a percentage of, of your diet. So that's kind of the basis of this experiment. <clears throat> This uh, carbohydrate curve was created about 14 years ago on the back of a napkin. And uh, to this day, it's like one of my proudest achievements because it really does, in, I think it encapsulates like pretty much everyone. So if you look at, um, this, is, this is looking at the amount of carbohydrates we might have access to in a day. And then this is what happens with, uh, you know, where we burn fat or maintain or uh, store more fat. Or <clears throat> so most people in, in this country today consume in, in excess of 300 grams of carbohydrate. And that's just way too much, I think, for just about anybody. There's nobody that needs 300 grams of carbohydrate a day, unless maybe you're a marathoner or an ultra cyclist or, you know, some sort of athlete who's, who's really plowing through a lot of carbs on a daily basis. Now, when you, when you eliminate added sugars and when you eliminate enriched uh, flour and you eliminate um, grains from your diet, which I recommend everyone try, and you eat, most of your carbs come from vegetables, it's almost impossible to get more than 150 grams of carbohydrate in a day. It's almost impossible. You have to overeat to do that. So 150 grams a day becomes this sort of, that becomes a dividing line under which I guarantee you're going to be a lot healthier, you're going to have a lot more energy, you're going to burn more fat, uh, you're going to achieve your, your weight loss goals and arrive at your ideal body composition uh, effortlessly. Anything above 150, we call it insidious weight gain because the body takes the carbohydrate and any excess carbohydrate, uh, which converts to glucose, raises insulin. Insulin is a, a nutrient storage hormone. So when insulin is high, um, it is trying to find a way to store excess calories of any kind as body fat. Uh, so we use the, the, the amount of carbohydrate in, a, in, a, in your daily diet as kind of a metric as to what's going on with insulin. Uh, so insidious means that, you know, if you just uh, if you gain two pounds a year, that's not that much, is it? Right? Well, that's forty pounds over twenty years. That's a lot, right? So that's that. It this stuff adds up. So it's insidious. You don't feel it happening when it's like in real time, but over the time you look back and you go, "Whoa, what happened? How did I get? You know, how did I get here?" So now we have uh, under hundred grams. We start to talk about the weight loss sweet spot, and I know a lot of people have been on the Primal Blueprint eating strategy for a long time, and 100 grams is probably where, they're, where they dial themselves in on a regular basis. And then under 50 is keto, ketogenic. So we'll, we'll start to talk a little bit about what, what that looks like. So I was um, very happy taking my own advice for 15 years eating primally, right? I was having uh, three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, maintaining energy levels, maintaining muscle mass, never getting sick, not being hungry, uh, happy. I was fine. Why should I change anything, right? But I started reading about this new, not new, it's been around for a long time, but this idea that people could get to a net, another level of fat burning, another level of energy by going into a state of what we call ketosis. 
And so I started looking at a ketogenic diet for myself, just as a way of experimenting. I'm, look, I've been chasing performance my whole life, right? So this was a new way of me breaking through the comfort zone of what I'd been existing in for 15 years and saying, you know, maybe there's another level of performance that I could access. I'll try this keto thing. So I did a 90-day uh, ketogenic experiment, and it was really eye-opening for me. I had more energy. I did have a little bit more muscle mass. Um, I, I slept. All right, this is when we uh, switched uh, recording devices. Um, out of necessity, uh, the talk is going great, though, and we're going to get in the nitty-gritty of ketosis and metabolic flexibility and all the stuff that Mark Sisson is super famous for uh, talking about. So uh, this is a great time also to let you know if you want to advertise on this podcast. Um, I'm totally, totally accepting advertisements. Also for free, uh, if you have a nonprofit and want to advertise um, for free on this podcast, that's totally cool with me too. As long as you are really, really benefiting um, other people and actually doing something out there in the world, I'd be happy to uh, advertise for you on this podcast. So let me know. Um, you can get uh, a hold of me through this podcast or get me on my website at uh, nutritionmountainman.com. And uh, looking forward to hearing from you. You spend the rest of your life in ketosis. No, my idea of ketogenic diet is to use it as a tool, as a strategy to refine your metabolic flexibility. In other words, spend six weeks in, in ketosis and take on all of the benefits, the anti-inflammatory benefits, the benefits in, in increasing the amount of mitochondria where fat burns, the benefits in increasing the amount of uh, fat-burning enzymes, uh, the benefits in um, actually, actually burning off more stored body fat, uh, one of the major benefits, which is getting a handle on appetite, hunger, and cravings, uh, which I think is probably the, the <clears throat> when I do the analysis, the biggest issue for everyone is how do I hang, uh, handle my hunger, appetite, and cravings. <clears throat> so the... The idea behind the Keto Reset, the, the book uh, is called The Keto Reset Diet, is it's a stair-step approach to take you, hold your hand and walk you gently into ketosis rather than um, what I've seen other you know, modalities do, which is basically um, slam you into ketosis and you know, to go from 300 grams a day of carbs down to 20 or 25. Uh, and that causes a lot of problems for a lot of people. I think that stair-stepping your way into this is, um, is well advised. So the first kind of phase, the first three weeks would be just getting rid of those things that we know we should be getting rid of. The sweetened beverages, the pies, the cakes, the candies, the cookies, the, I'm sorry, the ice cream, <laughs> the, uh, the rice, uh, the pasta, the cereal, the bread, you know, and just coming down to real food again, getting back to uh, meat, fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds, vegetables, a little bit of fruit, some starchy tubers once in a while, the things that we know we should be eating, the things that we know the body uh, thrives on, right? And so when you, when you take that first step, it doesn't really matter, you know, that you even count calories or that you even count macros. It's really about eliminating the crap that was causing the inflammation, that was causing the, 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 the medical problems, you know, maybe the diabetes or the polycystic ovarian syndrome or the infl inflammation and you know, the arthritis, a lot of these things subside when you just get rid of the offending food.
foods that you had assumed you were going to be able to eat for the rest of your life. So that's step one. And step one, we have a, you know, we, 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 we have a, a test that you take in the primal, in the uh, Tito Reset diet, and that is basically, how do you feel? Like, at the end of three weeks, can you get up in the morning and, and not eat breakfast? and not have it ruin your day? Well, if the answer is yes, it means you're becoming better at burning fat. The idea here in achieving metabolic flexibility is we want to teach the body how to burn fat, how not to have to rely on carbohydrate every three hours for the rest of our lives, right? Which is what most people do. Most Breakfast can't, you know, how, you know of course, the, the most important meal of the day is breakfast, right? No, it's not. It's, it's, but that's, the, that's what you've been told through the marketing, right? So we want to be able to get so good at burning our own stored body fat that we don't even need to eat. And I'm not suggesting you don't have to, you know, that you have to go long periods of time without eating. But that is one of the benefits of this metabolic flexibility is you become so good at burning off your own stored body fat, you don't need to eat. You don't feel compelled to eat. You don't feel hungry. So most people who go keto, one of the first things they notice is, damn, I was eating way too much food. <laughs> three meals a day is too much food. I just feel uncomfortable eating three times a day. Uh, and that's like one of the first things that we, that, we, that we notice. So a lot of people have what they call a compressed eating window. And they might eat, like I eat at 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the afternoon, and then I eat at 7 or 7.30 at night. I eat two meals a day, most days. Um, some days I only eat, I eat one meal a day. I don't get hungry, I don't get hangry, I don't get irritable. I'm just good at burning fat. What can I tell you, right? I've taught myself how to burn fat. I'm, I'm good at it. Uh, and I teach people <clears throat> how to do that for themselves. So developing this metabolic flexibility um, empowers you. It, it, it unburdens you of having to eat carbohydrates every couple of hours to, to replenish blood sugar. What's happening then when you go keto is you're restricting the amount of carbohydrates that you're consuming. You're telling your body there's not going to be a lot of glucose, so, so let's go to plan B. And plan B, which is we've been set up for this since birth, we're going to burn fat in the muscles. So our primary source of energy throughout the day is not going to be carbohydrate and glucose now. It's going to be fat. The muscles become really good at burning fat. 60, 70, 80, 90% of the energy throughout the day now comes from the fat as opposed to from the glucose. The brain, which has been used to burning glucose your whole life and is what has been driving this need to eat every three or four hours. The brain, which has been used to consuming glucose, which has been telling you, uh, I think I'm gonna pass out if I don't eat some, you know, some carbohydrate, if I don't have a bagel at, for, for a break. That subsides because now your liver is producing ketones from fat, so it's it's such a cool system where you've got this. Um, everybody has stored body fat. I mean, I'm like, I'm a fairly fit guy. I'd show you my abs, but it'd be inappropriate. And uh, but I've I've got 20 pounds of of usable fat on my body, and I could live for 35 days on that, not eating. I'm not going to do that, but I could because that's how our bodies are set up in terms of evolution. So when you start to restrict carbohydrate and start to tell the body it's not going to you're not going to get that much glucose the body goes great let's do this burn fat send some of the fat to the liver to become ketones send the ketones to the brain where the brain now uses the ketones for fuel and doesn't need glucose it needs a little bit but we can make our own glucose 
You don't even have to consume carbohydrate. The body makes glucose. So it becomes almost like a closed system. Then there's this amazing protein sparing effect of being in ketosis, where the ketones now cause the body to retain amino acids that it otherwise would have wasted, would have squandered. And so our, our daily requirement for amino acids drops as a result of being keto. Uh, to the extent that, again, you can go long periods of time. You can go days without eating and not suffer mus loss of muscle mass, loss of energy, any of the things that we used to fear when we thought, well, geez, if I don't eat three to five meals a day, my body will go into cannibal mode and I'll consume myself. Because that was the mantra for the longest period of time, right? And by the way, if you're a sugar burner, if you're somebody who hasn't built the metabolic machinery to burn fat and you're still dependent on carbohydrates, then if you do skip meals, that does happen. Then, then you actually do go cannibal because you haven't done the work. So now you restrict carbohydrates and the brain goes, Jesus, there's no, whoa, what are we gonna do here? Let's, first and foremost, let's send cortisol throughout the body and rip apart some of our muscle tissue and take some of the amino acids in the muscle and send it to the liver to make glucose to feed the brain. That's that cat catabolic reaction that you have if you haven't become fat adapted and keto adapted. All that stuff goes away when you become fat and keto adapted. So we're going to talk, uh, like, who should, who should do a keto diet? I mean, I think everybody would be advised to try one. Now, Lindsay's going to talk a little bit about maybe women who, you know, have uh, maybe thyroid issues. Men, too. Um, you know, women and, and men are a little bit different, you think. Uh, so there's different responses. Uh, how often? I mean... It's up to you. I do, uh, I do the, a keto reset once a year, and I live in, in what I call the keto zone. And here's what this means, and it comes back to metabolic flexibility. When you're metabolically flexible, you can have a day where you have 30 grams of carbs, and the next day have 190 or 210 grams of carbs, and not feel any different. And really, it's all about how you feel. It doesn't, the rest of it doesn't matter. You're not doing anything bad to yourself, it's, you know, how do I feel? How's my energy? How's my muscle mass? So you can go in and out of these days of some days low carb, some days higher carb, as long as you're not going off the rails and eating crap again. You, that's the metabolic flexibility that we're talking about. Some days I can go without eating at all. I had a, a serious couple of weeks in this uh, deal that just went down with Kraft Heinz. And, uh, you know, I had days where I would have six hours of phone calls back to back and couldn't, uh, couldn't eat. All of a sudden, it's 7 o'clock at night. Oh, I guess I'll have dinner. Um, and then the next day, uh, oh, it's 7 o'clock again. I haven't eaten yet. It's fine. It's, that's the beauty of this. That's the empowering part of this is that you, that you don't need to eat that much to have the energy and to have the uh, maintain the muscle mass, not get sick, and most importantly, not have hunger drive you off the rails. Hunger is... Hunger, appetite, and cravings is, is the bane of everyone who's ever tried to, to access good health, right? And if you tried to do it just by restricting calories because you were a carbohydrate-dependent individual and you hadn't done the work to burn fat and, and, and build a metabolic machinery to burn ketones, then it's just almost impossible to, to cut calories and live that way for any length of time. You have to, you have to reconfigure, you have to reprogram your genes to become a fat-burning beast and to become good at accessing these ketones. So uh, how often? I mean, again, it's really up to you. Once you do the work, 
some people choose to stay keto for, I know, we, we have friends who have been keto for 10 years, 15 years. They love it. This, that's all they're ever going to do. And it's not because they're necessarily, you know, driven by this paradigm. They just, it's comfortable. It's convenient for them. They don't like taking, I mean, most of these guys eat once or twice a day. That's it. They, they're very active. They're very fit. They're, you know, everything about what they're doing seems to be, uh, working extremely well for them. So I wouldn't change that. I, on the other hand, I, look, I have a food company because I like to eat. Um, by the way, I have uh, eight cookbooks now, something like that. And people, people say, well, geez, Mark, you must love to cook. I go, no, I like to eat. I like to have people cook for me. And so that's why I have all these cookbooks. Um, yeah. So, and then ultimately why, you know, why keto, I, and I'll just rehash some of, the, some of the benefits, but I mean, it's a great way to uh, achieve ideal body composition. It's a great way to unburden yourself of having to eat carbohydrates throughout the day. Um, it's a great way to reduce inflammation. Uh, it's a great way to achieve uh, a mental clarity that uh, you might not have otherwise been able to achieve. Um, and I think, ideally, it's a great way to free, to free up yourself from hunger, cravings, and appetite that I know many of you in this room, I know that has probably run your life for a long time. So that's why we would do it. So the ultimate goal of metabolic flexibility, again, is to derive more energy from fat and ketones and less dependency on carbohydrate uh, to manage your appetite and to have steady energy throughout the day. That, those are the basic reasons. A lot of people, uh, you know, there, there are um, medical clinics now using a keto diet to cure type 2 diabetes. There are medical clinics using a keto diet to, um, to achieve dramatic weight loss in people who, for whom regular diets have not worked. Um, is that the end of our? There it is. So um, I, go, I could go on for a day about all this stuff, but I wanted to kind of give you an encapsulation, in a, you know, a, a, just a broad view of this, and I would love to, and Lindsay and I would love to entertain any questions you have now about this, and, uh, and then I think after, after we finish that, we'll do a book signing if you want to do that. Does that make sense? Cool. All right. In the back. Hold on. We got a All right. I wanted to let you know this is where we start the question and answer segment of uh, Mark Sisson's book signing talk and second person a question and I'm asking a question in regards to losing weight and not losing weight in the last uh, four or five months or so and becoming stagnant and uh, should I uh, what should I do and both him and Lindsay uh, talk about it and answer my question and so that was pretty cool and I'm implementing uh, their advice um, as we speak, and it's working pretty well. So if you want to hear that, uh, continue listening, and here we go. Oh, we got to mic, mic you up. Thank, thank you, Mark. That was awesome. Uh, two questions. One, I wanted to know how old you are, and then the second question, how old do you want to be before you go on to the netherworld, wherever that may be, <laughs> being that George H.W. Bush was buried today. Yeah, buried, no. Or tomorrow. Uh, <clears throat> Um, well, I'm 65, and, um, you know, like how, I guess I'll have to show the abs when I go home. <laughs> oh, oh. 
you know, my thing is, um, I this this thing about longevity bothers me a little bit because I do feel like there's an end point beyond which I'm not sure I even want to live too long. Right? I think life is a I see life as a finite experience. I cannot imagine living as some uploaded consciousness into a machine, which is what some people are talking about now, like in forever. It's like, what do you do when you wake, when you don't wake up in the morning? That just, what do you do? I don't know. I don't get it. So, so I'm like, look, if you, if I get to 95 and I can still play frisbee, I'll be good. Um, so, uh, you know, that's. I don't really have any of those aspirations. What I want to be is I want to be uh, mobile and have access to my thoughts. So those, to me, those are the two big defining experiences of 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 getting older. Uh, you, you, I want you to be mobile and have access to the world, and I want you to have access to your thoughts and your memories. And of course, Alzheimer's is a big issue for a lot of people and dementia and things like that. So, you know, that's one of the things that one of the things that we can address with a keto diet, by the way. And we're looking at. Um, I'm not going to make promises here, but there's a lot of research going on in that in that field now. Hi, thanks, Mark, for being here. Um, so I'm a nutritional therapist practitioner that's uh, reversed my own type 2 diabetes, and that's my focus for my clients. Um, intermittent fast, try to get in the gym, been in keto for uh, almost a couple years now, but my personal uh, weight loss has been stagnant for three, four, five months, um, and I'm in ketosis. So based on um, what you're saying, should I up my carbs to over 50, below 100 to get in that sweet spot? All right, to, uh, where are you at now? What do you think you're at now? Uh, I'm somewhere around 240 to 230. I, I jump no, up no, and No, 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 wait, just uh, your carbs, sorry. Oh, um, probably 20, yeah. uh, sometimes 30 grams, but. Total? <laughs> yeah, total, not, um, not net, total. Um, that's pretty restrictive, you know, and so, you know, I'm coming at this from an experiential standpoint. So for those of you guys who don't know me, I, also, I run Mark's uh, Keto Reset Facebook community. I don't know if some of you guys are like lurkers. I know some of you guys are um, <laughs> members of our community. And so this is something that comes up all the time, right? Because um, weight loss is a primary goal for a lot of people. And I've just experienced, and I, you know, I'm not going to explain all the science behind it because I truly can't, but, you know, that happy bodies lose weight and unhappy bodies hold on to weight. And there's lots of reasons why your body might be unhappy. It might be sick, it might be stressed, it might be overworked, right? And so I feel like, you know, 20 grams of carbs is guaranteed to get you into ketosis, but I feel like it's also a pretty good path to becoming overstressed if you don't manage it really well. You know, it's sort of like, to bring up the B word, the vegan diet, right? Which can be done, but it must be managed because you're restricting the input so very much, um, you know. So, I think that you know, based on my many, many years of experience with the primal diet, and then now my several years of experience with the keto diet, you don't have anything to lose by upping your carbs to say 50 grams, or even trying to, you know a couple weeks at 75 or 100. You know, it's not that you're you know people when they start keto, they become afraid to stop keto because keto becomes the way. And then other things seem somehow unhealthy in comparison. And that's never been the case. Mark and I are always primal first and foremost. Um, so, but you know, once you've gone keto, I understand that there can be kind of a mental block about letting that go because it seems like it's such a powerful tool. 
but it's just one tool of many that can be effective. So I don't think you have anything to lose by trying 50 or 75 or 100 grams of carbs if they're coming from nutrient-dense real food sources. You know, you're not gonna gain weight from eating another 50 grams of broccoli and Brussels sprouts and carrots and beets and you know, even a sweet potato, which I don't know if you had, when the last time you let yourself have a sweet potato was, but they're great. And so, I mean, I just encourage you to experiment because experimenting is only gonna yield, you know, neutral and hopefully really positive results. That's my opinion. Yeah, I'm just going to add to that. that, that um, if you look at the ancestral model, um, none of our ancestors were keto 100% of the time. You know, ketosis was a means of surviving long periods of time without eating. But long periods of time is, is a subjective term. It could be days, it could be a week or two or three. But at some point, more food would show up. The irony here is that we are wired, we are all wired by evolution to overeat. That's actually a good thing. I mean, just think about the design of a human being. You're, you're, you come across some food, you're going to eat as much as you need in real time, but then you're wired to consume more because your body has this amazing ability to take the extra energy and convert it to fuel that you carry around evenly distributed on your waist and hips. It's so freaking cool. I can't tell you. This is, this is what got us to where we are, right? Instead of having to carry gallon jugs of fuel around with us, we get to store it on our bodies, and we get to use it in times of uh, lack of food, right? But the other part of that is we have to be wired to be able to take that energy that we're carrying with us and burn it as fuel, right? And when you become metabolically flexible, you have both these skills. You can store it, and you can burn it. And that's the human experience. So the human experience isn't three meals a day, definitely not three square meals a day. The human experience is a lot of food one day, a little food the next day, a lot the next day, no food for five days, three meals one day. It's all over the place. It's what we call fractal. And we're, we're built to handle these different inputs, right? But we just, because of where we are in society, because of the, the advent of agriculture and the ability to store energy in, in the form of bricks of bread and pasta and, and all this other stuff, we just have access to way too many calories. And so we've, we've, we're born with this factory setting that wants us to be good at burning fat and using ketones, and then we never tap into it. Some of us never tap into it because we're always fed three times a day, four times a day, five times a day for our entire lives, and we never get to use that skill. So that's what we're teaching here is the skill. Now, once you've built the skill, once you've developed the metabolic machinery, it doesn't go away if you go out of ketosis as long as you eat real food. So, um, in the case of the gentleman here, He's not going to lose the metabolic machinery that he built in the years of ketosis. He's just going to increase, he's just going to give his body a different set of inputs for a while and see how the body reacts to that. And it may be that the body said, look, I'm, you know, you've restricted um, carbs so much that I've had, to, I've had to do some adrenal issues, right? I've had, I've had to address some adrenal issues or I've had to do a little bit of thyroid uh, reconfiguring. I had to twist the knobs around a little bit. Now, if you go back and you, and, you, and you experiment with a little bit more carbs, maybe it'll shift the other direction. That's the experimental one that we talk about. What's a square meal? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I, I use the term pejoratively, uh, square meal, because it's like, uh, what is a square meal? If you, know, if you talk to um, you know, somebody back in the, in the 60s and 70s, a square meal breakfast would have been orange juice, uh, pancakes, um, you know, whatever, and you'd, you'd, you'd had you'd have had um, 150 grams of carbs before before you went to work, 
so I don't I, I, I don't like the term square meal. I'm sort of using it in the in the lexicon of the of the old paradigm of eating. Right now, a square meal is, I think, uh, you know, just a rack of lamb and nothing else is a square meal as far as I'm concerned. So. I think a frittata. I think a frittata is the perfect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. But it's usually round. Go ahead. Hi, Mark. Um, I followed your blog every day for the past five years, and I want to say thank you for helping hundreds and thousands of people get healthy, myself included. So thank you for all that you do. I just wanted to thank you. I'm like your biggest fan in this room right now. <laughs> Um, so I have a couple questions. So I follow the Primal Blueprint um, and I lose 25 pounds. I feel great. I feel amazing. I look amazing. And then I eat a cupcake and then I go off the rails. Um, and then I'm off and then the weight comes on. And I've done that. Lost the same. Gained and lost the same 25 pounds for the past five years. So how do I think of this as a lifestyle and not a diet and not something that's going to get me thin. So that would be one question, how to really, truly embrace this as a lifestyle. And then two, when I'm, you know, um, back on the plan, how do I um, have patience? Because I want results like tomorrow. Like I want to lose that weight because I know it works and I want it like tomorrow. So I think it's getting out of my own way and the mindset. Thank you. Okay. Um, mindset. That's like my favorite topic. Um, I'm just going to tell you what worked for me when I was first starting Primal 10 years ago, long before I worked for Mark, um, was that I started, the thing that really kicked it into gear for me, that it was more than a diet, was that I started running. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to start running. In fact, Mark doesn't like how much I run, and I know this, and he's probably giving me side eye right now. I'm not going to let No judgment. Um, no judgment. But the point was that I started thinking about my body in terms of what it could do. It's not like I stopped thinking about what it looked like, but I just put this other layer on top of it. And for me, that was the thing that clicked it, was that I really had a concrete sense of what I wanted my body to do, like how I wanted my body to work for me. And so you know, I think there's lots of ways you can access that. You don't have to start running marathons or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but you can find ways, you know, seek out ways that you are moving your body, that you're using your body to be in the world and not just be like an object that has, you know, a gaze on it. Um, so that to me is the big key. The other thing is that, you know, I, we actually were just talking about this in our Keter Reset group yesterday that you need to give yourself permission to, or to accept that things aren't always going to be easy. So I think a lot of people feel like if it's not easy, then that's a personal flaw. So I ate a cupcake, now I feel bad, I should have not been able to eat that cupcake. That is a reflection of me, and not the re a reflection of the fact that our bodies are wired to like carbs, and that cupcakes are delicious, and that the messaging is out there, and all that stuff. And once you start to get into a blame game, you know, for a lot of us, all bets are off. So I think that, you know, uh, what I see, when I see people spiral, it's because they have decided that they have done something wrong, as opposed to just, I made a choice I probably wouldn't make again. You know, and so that's where the mindset shift comes up. I, I want to just talk a little bit about ideal body composition as well, because you know we have this picture in our in our in our mind about what our ideal body composition might be, and you know to the um, to the detriment of some of the trainers in the '80s, they would say, "Oh, like clip out a Victoria's Secret model and put it on your refrigerator, and that's your that's your you know do a vision board." Bullshit. That stuff. That's this is this. That stuff doesn't work. So, you know, you can't aspire to be somebody else's body. Your body is your body. Your genes are your genes. 
as I say, we do things differently. Some of us build muscle much easier than others. Some of us don't build muscle without a lot of work. I'm one of those. I'm a hard, what they call a hard gainer. Uh, some of us have a tough time losing weight. Some of us have a tough time gaining weight. Some of, you know, we're all over the place in terms of, of predispositions, right? So your ideal body composition comes up, and what is the ideal body composition? Is it, uh, you know, 17% body fat? Is it 20? No, it's where your body goes, damn, I like what you've done with a plate. <laughs> you lost some weight, you lost 25 pounds, you got energy, you're sleeping well, um, you're working out, uh, this is phenomenal. And then your brain going, yeah, but it's not enough, and so now we gotta go to the next level. Well, sometimes the next level, uh, a is a lot more difficult. B um, might even negatively impact your health. So a lot of a lot of the fitness models you see are not healthy, right? Because they're just going way down that slippery slope just to get the look, as opposed to appreciating the body they have right now and what they've done and, and how they've gotten there and the fact that they now they do have energy, they sleep well, they're not irritable, they're not hungry. All, this, all the things that you say you want are now coming together, and now you want more, right? So I, I, and it's not that you shouldn't want more, but there, there's a point at which you have to realize that wanting more means a whole new set of, of hurdles and obstacles, and you've got to really be willing to go there. Um, and I'm not suggesting you that you should or should not go there, but that's, when you make that choice, you may have to make a lot more sacrifices Health might even be one of them. And you might get there and go, well, shit, that wasn't even worth it, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Is this uh, just a couple more questions? How much time do we have? I got time. <laughs> I got a lot of time. All right. How can you tell if you're in ketosis? So um, that's, a, that's a great question. So there's a couple ways. Um, to do it objectively, and one is, you know, you can you can do a uh, a blood, you can draw blood, and and there's all sorts of meters that will look at how much uh, beta hydroxybutyrate or acetone, how many ketones are in your bloodstream. So that's very objective. Um, there they have urine strips. You can you can pee on a urine strip, and the more purple it it turns, that's an indication that you're creating ketones. Um, there are breath meters that will show acetone, which is a direct reflection of how much, uh, how, how much, how many ketones you're producing. Um, but I'm going to get into a little bit of a, a semantic discussion here about ketosis. So, because you asked, how do you know you're in ketosis? Um, ketosis is a term, a medical term that 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 describes an excess of ketones in the bloodstream. And one of the problems with this keto diet in this, in this world we live in is that people are chasing, they're chasing ketones. They want to see the ketones. Oh, I'm in ketosis. Yay, I'm successful. No, you, 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 we don't think you should be chasing ketones. You should be chasing results. Now, the results are, do I feel better? Do I have more energy? Do I wake up in the morning and I feel like you know, jumping out of bed? Uh, do I, am I maintaining muscle mass? Am I not getting sick? Am I, you know, am I, am I thinking clearly? Um, can I go all day without eating and not have it be a problem? All these things, though, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about a keto way of, of living. And so the term ketosis almost by definition means to a certain extent your body is not functioning 
ideally, and here's why. The body doesn't want to waste any energy doing stuff it doesn't need to do. Right? The body is very conservative. That's why we gain weight. It, it would rather hoard the energy than expend it. Right? It's all about energy conservation. So the body doesn't want to make, it doesn't want to make mitochondria if it doesn't have to. If you're, if you're feeding it glucose and carbohydrate all day long, the body goes, I don't need to make any mitochondria. We're not gonna, we don't need to burn fat. Let's keep the fat because this clown's feeding us carbs all day. <laughs> so you get, this, you, you get into this lifestyle where you're, 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 not, um, you're not creating ketones. You're not burning fat. You're not accessing any, any of this, um, this metabolic state that we're trying to achieve. So when it comes to um, being in ketosis, the first couple of days of ketosis, you know, you, you get out that, that meter, wow, 4.5 millimolar. I am so in ketosis, this is great. And over time, uh, if you really are good at this and you start to do the, and you start to exercise, you start to eat appropriately, what you'll find is that the, peop the longer people are in ketosis, the lower the ketones go. To the point that some people, we know people who are in ketosis, who have been keto, I use the term just broadly, have been keto for 10 years, um, who eat 30 grams, 40 grams, 50 grams of carbs a day, max, who don't even register in ketosis on a normal, 0.5 millimolar is what they say is the definition of being in ketosis, right? If you're over 0.5 millimolar. And I'm talking about people being 4.5 and 3.5. These guys will be 0.4. Why is that? Because they become so good at burning fat that all their muscles are doing all day long is just burning fat. And they don't even need glucose. And they don't even, by the way, you get so good at burning fat that the muscles, who would, which initially can burn ketones, the muscles go, hey, we don't even need ketones. We're so good at burning fat. You save the ketones for the brain. Now the brain, which will use the ketones efficiently, the brain says, you know, bring on the ketones. That's great. And I don't need that much in the way of glucose. And whatever glucose I do need, we can make through gluconeogenesis. So that's easy. Uh, and so the brain's fine. Now, if you look at the distribution of energy throughout the day, you will see that uh, if you, like if you go to the gym and you do a leg day, and you do a heavy leg day, your leg muscles are gonna use 30 times as much energy doing that workout as when you're resting. Maybe 40 or 50 times as much energy, right? The brain, just going along smooth, brain's like, Nope, we can handle this. The brain, has, the brain does not have wild energy swings and dips throughout the day, right? The brain has a steady sort of re supply of requirement for energy. It might double, maybe, but it doesn't quadruple or quintuple. And so the liver kind of knows this. And the liver says, well, if we're going to be efficient, metabolically flexible and metabolically efficient, why would we waste ketones that we just piss out in the urine or breathe out in our breath or whatever? Why do we waste fat making ketones that we don't even need because the brain doesn't have that much of a, a requirement. And so you get to the point where the liver's just cranking out a little bit of ketones all day long, just enough for the brain. And this is where we get into this situation where you find people going, well, when I was a carb burner, and even when I first started keto, you know, I was eating 3,500 calories a day, 2,700 calories a day, whatever it is. And now, like, God, there's some days I have 1,600 calories the whole day and I'm good. How can that possibly be? That's how it can possibly be because you're not wasting energy. You become metabolically flexible, fat, ketones, and you've and you become metabolically efficient. You're, you're extracting more energy from fewer calories. It really is a thing. Now you go, because uh, I, I, I don't want to 
take up all your time. But I, like I, I have this thing. I, I go to the gym and I see people on the treadmill and they're doing, you know, like 450 calories on the treadmill, watching that LED readout, right? And I was like, wow, man, you are just suffering and struggling and sweating and foaming at the mouth and <laughs> stuff hanging out of your nose every day. And you know, you training for a 10k or a marathon or something? And, no, I just, uh, I just like to eat. It's like, Whoa, wait a minute, you'd go to the gym and you would put yourself through that misery just so you could earn a couple more bites of something you shouldn't eat in the first place? Like, how ridiculous is that? Right? And it, that's how people tend to think. People think, I want to have a fast metabolism. Right? How many people think, this is all about creating a fast metabolism. Boy, if, boy do I wish I had a fast metabolism. Boy, boy, do I wish I could eat as much as you eat, you know, because I don't have, I have a slow metabolism. It's not about that. It's like, as long as... As long as you can control hunger, appetite, and cravings, who cares how much or how little food you eat? Right? Right? I mean, it's not a contest to see who can eat the most amount of food and get away with it. It's about how do I, how do I reconfigure my body so I'm energy efficient, so I'm metabolically flexible and I'm metabolically efficient, and I can, and I can get by on fewer calories. So I, I said this thing where I, I do a thought experiment. I go, well... One thing you could, like most people say, what's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight, right? That's how I live my life. What's, what can I get away with? What's the biggest piece of cheesecake I can eat right now and not feel like crap, you know? What can I get away with, right? And this is how so many people live their lives, right? I know there's people in this room, you just reverse it and go, okay, what's the least amount of food I can eat? Maintain muscle mass, maintain energy, not get sick, and most importantly, not be hungry. As long as you're not hungry, who cares? Right? So there's no medal for being, you know, Michael Phelps eating 11,000 calories of uh, whatever it is today, stacks of pancakes. Who cares? As long as you have the energy and have, the, and have all, all these other benefits are happening and you're not hungry, you win. Right? Any more questions? <laughs> oh, now there's a lot. Yeah, okay. This is actually going to be our last question, and then we're going to get rolling into the book signing. Well, okay. While Mark signs books, I'll stand off to the side. There That's we go. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Yep. That's great. All right, one more. All right, so last one. Here we go. Hello, hello. Um, you were going to talk a little bit about thyroid. Sir, could you talk all about that, or is that kind of a... Let's do it off the side. Let's do it yeah, off, let's do off, off the side. side. Yeah, um, yeah. It's complicated. Very nuanced. <laughs> okay, Very nuanced. one more. I was wondering if you would make a brief comment on keto and paleo and LDL numbers going up. Yeah, so again, very nuanced, but basically... Um, you know, we, we look at um, LDL uh, in a whole different light when we're paleo and, and keto. Um, blood work becomes not as um, cut and dried as it was in the old paradigm. So you'll see that most people who engage in a keto strategy or a paleo strategy, their HDL will go up, their good cholesterol will go up, their LDL might go up a little bit. Um, but their triglycerides will come way down. Uh, their you know, CRP will come way down. So other markers will come down. 
The question then becomes, well, is this a bad thing that my LDL cholesterol went up? And you know, part of, the, part of my response to that is, again, first of all, it depends on a lot of other factors. There's some genetic factors there. Uh, there's some certain parts of the population for which it is problematic. But when you eat more fat, um, you need more bile salts to digest the fat. And bile is made from cholesterol. So there's a reason that cholesterol you know, goes up uh, that's just not a, re a direct result of you eating more fat or more saturated fat or whatever. So it's a very nuanced kind of thing. Uh, and then we, we can talk about particle size and dens you know, density and particle numbers. And there's a lot of different ways to parse this. And it's not, um, there, like I won't give you a medical opinion on it right now, uh, other than to say it's known that when people eat this way, there will be typically a rise in, in LDL. Sometimes we see a drop, by the way. But um, there's no, it's, it's not good or bad, right or wrong, black or white at this point. Yeah, I want to actually add something here because what I see a lot in the paleo world in social media I live in is people will say, help, I went to my doctor, my LDL numbers have gone up since I started eating more fat, he wants to put me on statins. And then 100 people say, your doctor is a dummy, definitely ignore him, you don't need a statin, you're going to live forever, your heart's perfect. And it's like, you don't even know this lady, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. So I definitely would want to urge people who have had this experience and are eating this way, if you go to your doctor and your cholesterol numbers are going up, first of all, educate yourself. And then secondly, there, what I'm really pleased to see is there's more and more and more doctors who have clued into this whole new way of eating and living. Don't just ignore your doctor. Find a doctor who knows what they're talking about, which yeah. is not a lot of them still, but there are so many more than there used to be. So the right answer is not to ignore an alarming cholesterol panel or lipid panel. It's to find a doctor that knows or has a better sense of whether it's actually alarming or not. Okay, I think that's it for, for this part of the evening. Thanks for coming, everybody. And I'm going to be leading a Keto Reset in the Keto Reset Facebook group if you're in it. And Mark is going to be starting a Keto Reset kickoff on January 7th. You can go here to sign up for it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Another round of applause for them. Thank you so much. Hey, this is uh, Jeffrey with Mountain Man Nutrition again. And if you like the podcast you just heard, uh, tell a friend, share it on Facebook, share it on Instagram, share it on Twitter, uh, wherever you can share it, tell uh, somebody who can benefit from it. Because that's why I'm here and that's why I'm doing this podcast is to benefit as many people as possible. Uh, millions and millions of Americans uh, have suffered from type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, and uh, are continue to suffer. So if we can benefit them uh, in any way, shape, or form with this podcast, I want to do that. So please uh, uh, share it with your friends. Uh, get on iTunes and give me a five-star rating uh, if you liked it, uh, five stars. And then write a little uh, uh, blog about it or a little uh, uh, give me, say something about it so other people can find it um, that you're not sharing it with. You know, the more people who listen, uh, the more uh, benefit we can do for others, and you can be a part of that. And I'm asking you to be part of that. So let's uh, share this podcast as often as possible. Thank you very much, and good wishes to you.